started promoting it as a 12-month local flower business. Um, you could get married in February and have flowers from Maryland. Um, that was sort of the turning point. That was when I thought this can be a full-time job for me, can be a full-time business. Um, and then going into year five, it was all in. I quit my job. I worked on it all the time. Another year later, Eric quit. My husband quit his job, and we sort of knew that was knew it was going to work. That's great. So, the Maryland Cut Flowers Growers, Growers Association. Association. <laughs> it's a long one, um, right? Like nobody. I think most people, you know, because most people, it's not like food. You know, it's not like buying local food because people. When you eat, like you're more in tune with what you're eating. Sure. Flowers are, you know, seen as a luxury item. They're not something that you're going to like research a lot or you're going to know a lot about. Sure. Um, so most people don't know that there is a huge cut flower industry in our region um, and that it's really sustainable because we have a moderate climate and we have farmland. Um, and I can talk about there's farms, Baltimore City flower farms, and that's like a whole nother amazing thing. But there are, you know, 50, 60, 70 flower farms in Maryland alone. Wow. Um, and these are commercial flower growers. These are not people that are doing vegetables and then they do a little bit of flowers on the side. These are people whose full-time business is growing flowers for commercial production. Um, and they're amazing. They are the best, by far the best group of farmers. They are... Um, much more than just our suppliers. They are like our great friends. We love them. We, I mean, that is one of the great benefits of this job, if you will, is that we get to go to farms every week. We get to talk to farmers. We get to pick flowers. It's pretty amazing. So, man, there's so many places I want to go. Where, who were they selling to before you showed up? Yeah. So most of them were selling at farmer's markets. And they were just selling to folks at farmer's markets. B2C. And just straight through. Just, yep. And no, no middle person. They weren't selling. For the most part, they were not selling to other florists. They were not selling to... Or maybe they were... A few of them maybe sold to one florist. Like down the street. You know, like their neighborhood florist. Um, they were not selling to grocery stores. They were not selling to event people. They were mostly selling... Or, at a, or a lot of them had farm stands at the farm. So a little stand outside of their farm where people drove by and they put money in a tin cup and they took a bouquet of flowers. Um, yep, that's how it worked. Just flowers for sale out in front of the farm. Um, so that's how they were. That's how they were working. Um, and you know, this was you know six seven years ago, um, before sort of the real craziness of buy local got 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 going. Um, now there's like such huge demand for local flowers and local food and local wine and you know local right, everything. Right. Um, flowers just was a little behind the curve of food because it wasn't you know. So, are there a lot? So are there? Is that is that the normative now? Is that is that the way that no, it is? No, definitely not the norm. But there but there are people that that understand that value sure. proposition in, in the market. The majority of florists. Um, in Baltimore and throughout the country are still sourcing flowers the way they have been for the last 50 years. And that's through a wholesaler that gets their flowers from mostly South America, sometimes Holland, sometimes Kenya. Um, those are sort of the big flower producing mm -hmm. places. 
Um, and so, you know, flowers grown in Ecuador are grown on huge million acre farms with very um, poor environmental standards, very poor employment standards, and they are flown, you know, 2,000 miles to Miami. They go through customs in Miami, and then they are either shipped on a refrigerated truck or a refrigerated train car to a wholesaler in, you know, the suburbs of D.C. Then they get in another refrigerated truck to come to a wholesaler in Baltimore. Then they go to a florist in Baltimore, and then they end up on a client's table. So you can imagine that those flowers have been out of water for seven days, eight days, and people wonder why the vase life of flowers is so poor, and people say, oh, I bought these flowers at the grocery store and they only lasted one day, what a waste of money, I never wanna buy them again. Well, sure, because that's the process. Um, so what's the shelf life? What, what is the vase life sure. like for your flowers? Seven to 10 days normally, um, depends on the on the flower, but I mean, you could be looking at you know a two week vase life. So a life. significant difference. Huge difference, huge and, and difference. And what's the length of time from cut to, to table and, 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 and for our Baltimore city growers, it's like picked at 10 o'clock in the morning and we use it by noon and it's on the person's table by two o'clock. I mean, it is quick. And that is, you know, our closest Baltimore city farmer is 1.8 miles from our shop. So, um, where like geographically, where are some mm -hmm. of the, the Baltimore city yep. flower farms? So Hill and Homestead is sort of the largest one doing production cut flowers right now. They have two spots, uh, one on like Hillen and um, it's sort of like right across from Clifton Park. So if you know, like you're on Harford Road in St. Lowe yeah. and there's like a hip hop chicken there, yeah. they're like right around the corner. Okay. Um, right by, by Lake Montebello. Oh, yeah. Right I by, by here. The, I mean, I drive by that every mm -hmm. twice a day. And then they have another spot off on um, Bel Air Road. So that's a spot that, where they do woodies and they do dahlias on that spot. And then the other spot they do more annuals. Um, but so right, a mile and a half from our studio is pretty small environmental footprint. Pretty freaking amazing if you ask me. Um, there's a second flower farm starting this year that this will be their first year of production. It's called The Flower Factory. Walker um, is the farmer, and he won a award from Baltimore City two years ago, the Growing Green Award, um, to start a flower farm just north of Hopkins Hospital on the corner of Gay and Washington. I mean, as urban an area as you can get. It's a vacant plot of land. Yeah, I know where it is. Um, Amidst, you know, the one on the left, on the left side, yeah. it's a triangular yeah. piece I know exactly of land, what you're talking about. Um, right by the CSX tracks. Yeah. So he's going to be halfway between the Human yeah. American yeah, Brewery right building the, and City Seeds. Exactly. Yep, he's so in a Oliver. great spot. Um, this will be his first year of production, so that'll be our second, our second farmer. Um, and then there's a few other folks that are growing flowers for themselves or for a vegetable CSA. Um, but those are sort of the two commercial growers in Baltimore City. That's great. So fascinating. So I'm curious how much influence you had with the Maryland Cut Flowers <laughs> Growers Association in terms of helping them understand yeah. how the market could be changed with the narrative being kind of pulled apart. So it's really been, um, for me, a a sort of honor to be able to one be invited to these meetings so I've been going to these meetings now for six years um, have been an active participant as a non-grower 
um, and have worked, I think, pretty hard at helping the growers connect to other sources of purchasing, right? So um, helping them, and for a lot of the older growers, it's more convincing them that they can do it, like, because they're, you know, they've been selling a certain way for a long time. Um, we've even, so, and we've tried to think of creative ways to get more flower, local flowers in people's hands. So what does that look like? So maybe a farmer is like, I don't want to go do a bucket route to florist, to florist, to florist and sell. That's not, you know, I don't have time. I'm a single guy. I do my own stuff. I don't, I can't leave the farm for a whole day to do that. So we said, okay, well, what if you sell to us and the florists order from us and they can get the stuff from us? So who cares if we're all competitors, technically? Um, we want them to buy local stuff and whatever that looks like, we're gonna help do it. So we've done wholesale selling to other florists. We've done deliveries for farmers to other florists. Um, we, for the new farmers, so I'll tell you like about five years ago, we started to think, maybe four years ago, started thinking, okay, we wanna to continue to be sustainable over the long term. A lot of our farmers are older. Um, they don't necessarily have succession plans for their farms. Mm -hmm. So if they die, which we've had farmers do, if they've retired, which we've had farmers do, there's no continuation of that of that farm. Um, and it's unfortunate. And for us, it you know is a hole in our sort of our, our process. So we decided maybe we need to start growing farmers. Maybe we need to start telling people that we need more flowers, that if they're thinking about farming, especially in Baltimore City, because there's a huge urban ag movement in Baltimore City right now, if you're thinking about farming, why don't you consider flowers? Because it's a different market, it's not flooded, um, the margins are higher than they are for vegetables. And in helping the new farmers, we said, okay, we'll do some things to encourage you to try flowers. For the first year in business, we'll buy everything you grow. We'll guarantee to buy everything you grow so that you can just concentrate on learning to grow flowers. You don't have to worry about marketing. You don't have to worry about like, who am I gonna sell all this stuff to? Just sell it to me and I'll help you learn for next year what it's like to sell to a florist. So you have to bring the stuff in clean buckets. You have to bunch stuff in a certain way. Like other florists are gonna expect that. So sell it to me and I'll help you learn what's expected out in the real world. Um, and we've done that with three or four growers now over the last three or four years. Um, and those growers are now, you know, production growers that are selling. Butterbee Farm is a perfect example. They're in their fourth year of business. They started on 1 26th of an acre of land. They basically grew on the outskirts of White Lock Farm. So White Lock was growing in Res, in Res Hill. Mm -hmm. And they said, we'll give you literally the border around the greenhouse. And Laura Beth was like, okay, I'll try it. I, I wanna try it. Um, she's now in her fourth year of growing. She's on two acres. She's got a hoop house. She is selling to a dozen or more florists. She's got a CSA with you know a couple dozen members. Where'd she move to? Pikesville. So right, if you know where like the Trader Joe's is mm -hmm. on Ricerstown Road, right behind there, there's like a little neighborhood mm -hmm. and you go down a little side street and there's her awesome two acre flower farm. Um, so it's pretty amazing. And, and anything, so we're trying to be creative in thinking 
anything we can do to get people started. Yep. Um, and then help them diversify because we can't buy every flower from every farmer, although some weeks we do. Um, we can't be the only person doing it. So sure. now that we've sort of got the farmers straight, now we're trying to help them find new ways to sell their products. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of that means that we have a long-term sustainable business with a long-term sustainable supply of local flowers. So you came to Baltimore in 1999 from mm-hmm. where? San Francisco. Yeah. My brother lives in San Francisco. It's an awesome city. Great city. Um, my husband and I lived there for about six years. We both worked in nonprofits. My background's in affordable housing development and construction. Um, and we moved back just for family stuff. Um, and I had never even been to Baltimore when I moved here. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I had been here once for like one day. Um, but it turns out it's a lot like I grew up in Buffalo. It's a lot like Buffalo. It's you know blue collar. It's got a lot of pride. It's got you got J- JJ Reedy yet? Um, no, uh. Uh-uh. From Urban Pastoral. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh huh. You guys are um, both. Is he from Buffalo? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And you're growing. There's a lot of Buffalo connections in Baltimore. Yeah. Very similar cities. Very very similar feels. Um, I think that's where Brian Burkert is from too. The guy that owns the Sound Garden. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Buffalo. I think it is Buffalo because they had there was a Geneseo and mm-hmm. a Syracuse store oh, yeah. for a while as well, but I think he's from Buffalo. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've been in Baltimore sixteen years now. Um, we love it. Um, totally committed to being here. No plan to. No plan to leave. So. We're going to go back to San Francisco in a minute. Yeah. Uh, from 99 to, what was it, 2008, mm-hmm. is that what you said? What were you doing? I worked in affordable housing development. Here so in the city? Here in the city. So mm-hmm. yeah. unpack that a little bit for yeah. us. I worked for, my first sort of development job here was at a place called Episcopal Housing Corporation. And we basically worked with nonprofits that wanted to build or redevelop um, affordable housing for either their clients so we worked with places like Recovering Community in West Baltimore. We worked with Martha's Place. Um, we worked out in Pimlico. So basically constructing uh, affordable housing for low-income folks in Baltimore. Uh, and I did that for six or seven years. And then I switched to the construction side. So I worked for um, as the vice president of a construction company here in Baltimore that did affordable housing development. So I wanted to see sort of the, the construction side. I sure. had gotten... Um, I went back to school and got an MBA in, I don't know, 2002, 2003, and was interested. I had never really worked in a for-profit mm-hmm. business before, so I, want, I was interested in seeing sort of the for-profit side sure. of that, um, which was great. And getting an MBA was great. I went to Loyola, and um, that was sort of the first time that I thought, hey, I could have my own business. I could do my own thing. Um, I could still impact the community. I could still, um, you know, I sort of come from a social justice background. I went to Jesuit schools. Um, I, my husband and I met in a Jesuit volunteer corps program out in California. So we were both sort of into social justice stuff. So I thought, I, I originally thought nonprofits was sort of the only way you could do that. Um, I didn't really understand that you could have a for-profit business and still enact change in a way that was significant. Oh, I'm so stoked that you're here because there's like, I mean, it's a wonderful learning about your business, but yeah. you have so much insight and uh, and you have so much to share that Baltimore really 
can draw a lot from. So I am like over the top bullish about talking about how I love San Francisco. Uh It's the worst thing that could happen to Baltimore would be for us to consume the population that's kept our city alive for the last 50 or 60 years. And that, you know, that is 100% locked down in San Francisco and it's like 90% there over in the Bay Area at this point. And you know, be that as it may, we can't really change anything there, but we can learn a lot of lessons by talking about that. Um, so I'm interested in in maybe what you might have to say about how you see Baltimore changing mm-hmm. um, and what's going to happen. You know, like we're 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 at this place now where the next 10 years, 15 years are going to be crazy here. Yeah. And I'm very vocal about stealing ourselves mm-hmm. and really turning up the amount of time we're spending in dialogue so we really understand the communities that are that make up that really comprise the majority of Baltimore and figuring out great inventive creative solutions that are gonna welcome economic prosperity for everyone in the city and figure out how we can grow in a very holistic way Mm -hmm. and not grow at the at the you know the beckoning of these like massive corporations that want to do it and for me Mm -hmm. my whole point of view is like i'm not interested in politics i'm not interested in political office i don't have faith Mm -hmm. in the politics of our city for sure um I think some of the candidates are really nice people. I've met a lot of them. I hope that one of them gets in there and proves me super wrong. Um, I won't hold them 1 million percent accountable if they let me down because I think that the political system in Baltimore is super duper old and it's pretty stitched up. And I think that it's difficult to innovate in that space. So for me, you know, like, I grew up making art and making music. Like mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to have a job, and I certainly didn't want to own a business. Like this was right. never something that I had any in, in, inclination towards whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it was only kind of like all you know, like blowing it professionally right. and having a baby, and then being like, well, I can't do any worse than I'm doing. <laughs> so like, let's try that. this. Right. And then it appealed to me, mm-hmm. and I liked it. And you know, like clearly, I liked to talk. Yeah. And I got to do a lot of talking and I got to do, I love to like be with people and I got to be with more right. people and, and it really responded well with me. But where it really started to get good was when I realized that I was also, in addition to like hopefully building a career that would take care of my children yeah. and my wife and um, myself and would be interesting and, and something that I could mentally grow with, mm-hmm. but also like the notion that I was building something that was gonna allow me to have an impact, yeah. hold the steering wheel and push the gas pedal and be one million percent unapologetic for anything that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. like that fit me to a T yeah. because I'm the type of person that's always been a doer and not mm-hmm. like a talker about stuff. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, I definitely like shot my <laughs> mouth off and not followed through. But I'll usually own that as well. And I think what I started to learn was this whole like for-profit thing was great because, you know, like just because you're for-profit doesn't mean that you can't spend money and put your mouth wherever you want it to be and have it do what you want it to do. And if you're generating your own revenue and to spend, then it's like, well, hold up. We get to skip all the bullshit, you know? And... That is That's, the great pleasure you know, like, of owning your own business. Right. Is that you can, I mean, 
we are florists and that's our job that's our business um, but it's a tool right it's a it's a tool it's a tool for us to build community absolutely it's a tool for us to um, encourage entrepreneurship in Baltimore it's a tool to um, show off how great Baltimore can be it just happens that it's flowers you know that's our tool um, and it's really exciting it's um, it's really, really awesome. It's funny that you that you had that clarity about it, right? Mm-hmm. So like, so we got into like photo booths, right? Like right. of all like ridiculous, <laughs> right. of all ridiculous stuff. I definitely assumed when when we got when Nick and I got far enough into it, and he didn't shit the bed mm-hmm. when he didn't like. If there's one thing that makes our partnership really thrive, it's that neither of the two of us will ever drop the ball right. on someone. Like we're just too like self confident I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We own it. Whatever the case may be, and that's uncommon to have two people that are like almost like trying to outdo each other with right. not dro- with Screwing not it up. with not dropping. Yeah, with not right. like just hanging it up on someone. And I definitely assumed that we would get to a place where pixelated wasn't big enough for our ambition and we would like either sell it or we would shut it down and like start something that would be like our thing and what we found is that we you know like we started the company when we wanted to make something that was beautiful Mm -hmm. right it kind of felt sculptural and interesting like a little sexy something that would really complement beautiful event Mm -hmm. spaces we wanted the quality of it to be exceptional we wanted it to be the photographs to be on par with the professional photographs that the photography you were hiring was producing because we sure. thought that the frames we were capturing were just as great as uh-huh. what they were capturing. And we wanted we wanted to have a brand that was cool and that was something that we could really get into and get interested in. And, you know, as we pushed and pushed and pushed, we ended up becoming really sharp marketers and understanding that our company was actually deploying a very inventive tool when we kept the quality level all the way at the top and we thought more broadly about what it could be used for. Um, And we started to push and push and push. And then before we knew it, we had gotten to a place where we could see this turning into a 20 or 30 year old company because we're so progressive in terms of like, I say to people all the time, you can hire Pixelated to come and be your like wedding photo booth, and we're going to do that better than anyone in the market, hands right. down, without any doubt. There's probably a good chance we could do it better than anyone in the country uh-huh. right now. But I, but that's under depending on who you are, that's underserving the right place to start learning about us. Because really, if we're anything, we're probably like a digital agency right. that has a very proprietary tool mm-hmm. that we use in very specific ways at right. like the campaign level. And that's been fascinating and, and really mind-blowing to do that. But it wasn't until we got into doing startups for yeah. it. You know, like uh, one of the things that I, I want to ask you about a little bit is your inbound marketing ideas, mm-hmm. right? Flower workshops and yeah. know, meditation, whatever you guys are doing there. But... We've been about that forever, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, free yoga was here forever. Yeah. It only stopped because um, Julie and L.A. stopped. They used to be on the other side of this wall with mm-hmm. their office, and then they stopped, and then there was some weird stuff with being on the property. Um, but, you know, like, whether it was that or whether it's, like, 
the wine and, and like open house events that Pixelated first started throwing when we got here or whether it was right. Startup Soiree. Right. You know, like Startup Soiree candidly began because we wanted to have a monthly event. Mm-hmm. We wanted to host it here at Pixelated so that way we got a ton of brand exposure. Right. Uh, and we wanted to build relationships in the B2B world because we had never learned how to be businessmen there. Yeah. Um, all of our relationships were built largely in the wedding and event industry, mm-hmm. which is great, has been like amazing to right. us. Um, ama- I mean, amazing to us. But we knew that we wanted to start using our photo booth to do like these specific things. So we saw writing technology as something that was going to come up before too long. And we needed to find people that we could ask questions about sure. that. And the people that we were meeting in the wedding industry, they weren't able to tell us about how we would build an app or how right. we would like do those other or how we would sell to the Baltimore Ravens at scale, you know what I mean, on like a year-long contract. That's where we wanted to go. And and we like to have parties too. So like <laughs> yeah. we, we just got to this idea and we planned it really quick in this room with some other people that are our partners in Startup Soiree now. And those the hustle wasn't there. And you know, that's like part of mine and Nick's secret weapon is that we can start projects with a lot of people and if we feel good about it, we know that they're either gonna rise to the challenge or like we're just gonna run faster than they are and it's gonna prove itself out. So in that situation, that was the way that it went and we kind of were left with it again and we went out uh, seeking other partners and one thing that we were very uh, cognizant of was not wanting it to be perceived as this like male focused group. And we ended up reaching out and finding Rachel and Jess who were event planners so they Mm -hmm. could bring all kinds of assets to it in terms of like fundamentally throwing events and having them look and feel great. Um, But also it would help us present a more even keeled platform. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that whole first year was about four founders by founders, right? Right. But not really. It was like that for about five or six months. And then... The Nick Rodericks and Sydney's from November Project in LA started to show up, and Matt Williams from Sobo Network started to show up, and Kate Rowe from the National Aquarium started to show up, and all of a sudden it started to become more about, not more about it, but we started to realize that what we were all getting to was more about the way you know, like decision makers in our community, right? That there are a ton of people that don't own a company but are running it and are doing, all, yeah. are making all the moves, right? For there sure. are a ton of people that aren't running a company or owning a company, but they're running 50 people around the city three times a week at 5 a.m. in the morning. And all yeah. those people want to figure out how to positively impact the city. And yeah. that's a place, it's an important point of conversation. So, it started to evolve mm-hmm. and when we went to City Garage we got feedback about it was great that it wasn't out here right. because it was easier for people to get, get to. to and then all of a sudden it started to to like change in our mind and like slowly but surely change and change and we had said kind of from the very beginning I mean I remember getting into you know we kicked off with Ethan Giffen uh, and then we had Nick and Adam from Parking Panda and then we had Todd Jennings flip those two. It was Todd and then Nick and Adam. And I remember getting to this place and being like, it's very important that we say out loud that we don't want to have only white men on stage. Like, what are we doing about this? And we immediately started reaching out to tons of women business owners in the area, which ended up like 
we reached out, and I swear we reached out to like six, and only it was wasn't until the sixth one that could actually do the <laughs> next month. So then the whole back half of the calendar ended up getting filled up with women, right. and and then uh, our buddy Tom Lou came in, and uh, what we realized was there's a lot of stuff optically. Mm-hmm. That isn't even stuff that's said aloud that we can say all day long that we want this to be for mm-hmm. all types of people, that we want it to look and feel like the demographic of our city. Right. But unless we are constantly with intentionality making mm-hmm. moves to make to shift yeah. that balance, it will never happen. That, you know, you can hope and dream all day, right. but unless you're actively doing specific things to challenge that, it's not gonna come to fruition. So right. You know, with that in mind, we, you know, we had gotten an invitation to move to City Garage mm-hmm. for good, uh, and we thought about it for a minute. And I think that that one event we had there was really, really great. It was really fun to be in that space. And then we came back and we did like a little pitch contest here with City Seeds, and then we did our big toy drive down mm-hmm. at Little Havana. We got like 150 gifts for mm-hmm. kids, and then Matt Williams took them. And he handed them out, right? Mm-hmm. No, again, no middle. That was my other thing about yeah. for-profit versus non-profit. I don't want any middle right. people anymore. I don't want any CEOs that are taking the majority of my contribution. Like I want yeah. to collect the stuff from our community and then get five of them to put their hands in the air. Let's get in a truck and we'll go hand it out. Right. And we know where it's going. Um, but we kind of like, we saw that happen and then we got all this feedback about people being able to get to it more easily and we just kind of started thinking about it and and decided that all of 2016 was going to be all about going to places all over the city mm-hmm. and going to places that the technology groups don't go to regularly uh, going to neighborhoods that technology groups don't go to regularly but also recognizing that we had to change whether it was the attrition of how people came to us. Mm -hmm. So like you used to have to sign up and we would have to approve you and all that thing. That was important because we wanted to keep all the sales jerks out of the room. We wanted, and we didn't care about sales jerks coming. Like they need to come and listen and be cool and be part of the community. Like if you can do that, anyone can come. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to come in and fling business cards, I'm literally going to throw you out because you're the worst thing about, like networking isn't just about networking. It's Mm -hmm. about building a community of people who like when they see you come in they know what beer you want from the cooler and they grab it for you or they like go when they're going for you know like that's what it's about it's about getting to a place where you know rich may quote of the year uh last year rich may is the is the the head honcho at innovation village and mrcdc rich said we're we're, what we're doing is we're talking about what it means to be a citizen Mm -hmm. and that's i think what we're all really interested in so right, it's making connections, right? It's knowing people's names. It's you know, for us such we push we do such we work so hard to make sure that the people who buy flowers from us, if you see the flowers I brought today, there's a tag on there that tells you a story about the farmer that grew those flowers. We want you to connect where those flowers came from and not just where, but who. Here is a picture of Maya. Here's where her farm is. She grew these flowers for you. She's a real person. She lives in Charles Village. She's got kids. She's got a husband. Real Baltimore people right. providing real products for other real Baltimore people. Right. That's the connection we want to make. And so we host events where the farmers come to the shop and our clients come to the shop and they drink beer and they chit chat. You know, or we have 
tours of the farms where we take people to the farms to see here's where stuff is coming from. We do video of, of you know, here is a short little video of your farmer cutting your wedding flowers this morning. So you know, you can be proud of that purchase, right? Like you're spending a lot of money on wedding stuff, um, usually more money than you'll usually spend on most anything else ever, like except maybe a house or a car. Um, but we want you to feel proud of that, right? We want you to be able to put a face to where that came from and tell people, tell your friends, like, hey, this is so cool. My flowers didn't just come on a plane from some like right. nameless, faceless place. Right. They were grown in Baltimore. They, they were grown in, in Baltimore air. County. They were grown by our people. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It is. A, it totally is. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that's where we started to get to was realizing like, we can do this, you know? Mm-hmm. So as we've been, you know, we, we kicked off at Arch and that yeah. was incredible. I mean, it was incredible. First of all, it was like 72 hours after the blizzard uh-huh. and it was the most brutal night of traffic ever. <laughs> and we only, we ended up pulling in probably like 150 people from our group, but yeah. we had 75 or 80 people that were from the Penn North neighborhood oh, yeah. that were there. And, you know, it's been about every time we move, we call the local neighborhood associations and we say, what do we need to do to get your business owners here? We keep, um, it's also a little bit about saying like, okay, we ask people to sign up through this website Mm -hmm. and like blah, blah, blah. Like there are business owners in the city that just aren't going to do that. Yeah. And I don't want that to prevent them. So we keep... You know, if, if our if we know our capacity, we keep forty tickets off the official ledger, and we'll go around and knock on yeah, doors and intro. Like, I mean, I've gone. I remember last football season, taking my son. Nick owns it, a great, an awesome tailgate party. Um, I took my son there, and I like was drinking and just hanging out and doing the thing. And he's too young; we can't Uber or cab right. it because he doesn't have a car seat. Yeah. So I was just like, we'll just figure it out. And we walked from. Raven Stadium all the way to Waverly. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we got picked up right by the uh, right by by your shop. Uh-huh. Um, but I, when I came up Charles Street between North and Twenty Fifth, where like Brothers Music is and Sankofa yeah. and like the shops across the street, and I just went into all of them, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, like a little bit buzzed. <laughs> I got a kid on my shoulders, <laughs> and I'm like walking in, and I'm like berating them basically saying like you have to do this and then I'm like pulling up my phone I'm like look I'm legit like I promise (laughs) it's a free party you're gonna love it there's always booze and food there's a million business owners that are there like once you come you'll never not come and then when I finally like convinced them I was like all right I need one thing and they were like and I was like there are all these other businesses that are your your neighbors Mm -hmm. that are closed today because it was a Sunday Uh I said you have Get them. To convince them to come. And right. then you guys don't have to come alone. You come together and they'll keep doing it. And they're like, okay. But, you know, really those, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like face punching <laughs> ways of getting people because, you know, <coughs> you got to shock the system in yeah. Baltimore. Like there's such a deep malaise that is that is hanging on our city. And I'm just like... Mm-hmm. so stoked to just like knock it off and for whatever reason I think I have the right personality at least for now I'm sure at some point I'm going to get really tired or yeah. but, but but that not. inertia I mean that that inertia is what we fight right every day like 
you do the thing that's easy and the thing that you've been doing forever sure. and that's how you do it. And so for us, every time we tell the story, every time we tell the story about why you should buy local, why you should do the thing that is a little bit harder or a little bit more out of the way. Every time we tell the story, our expectation is, okay, once you understand it, you can't go back. You can't go back to the old way, right? You have to take the step forward. You have to buy global stuff. You have to, you know, you can't turn away from thinking, okay, well, there's a huge environmental footprint. It's bad for kids. It's bad for families living on those farms. Like, I have to make a better decision. Um, so we keep telling the story. It's all we do all day long is tell that story. Well, congrats on, on, on your point of view because it's it's awesome. Thank you. It's awesome. So full disclosure yeah. um, to everyone listening and to you, I tried to redo this podcast and I because I because I screwed up Letta's name. And then when we started over, it didn't start recording. Oh. And then I looked up at one point and you were into the the fulcrum thing. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, do I stop her or do I? So I didn't. I just reached out and I hit record and let you start going. So we, we got like the end of that. So I'm just going to own it all just like this right now. And I am going to do, we're going to like totally screw up the order of this podcast to keep all of you on your feet. Um, so, you know, you're listening to the Startup Story podcast, <laughs> and, th- and this is, in fact, your host, Patrick Rape, and I'm sitting today with Ellen Frost from Local Color Flowers. So, Ellen, before we wrap up, mm-hmm. I want to reopen up. Sure. So, just tell us again. Give me your 90 seconds about you, mm-hmm. and again, my apolo- I, I'm so sorry, but I, I hope that my candid nature here will make up for my mistake. So, yeah, just let us know one more time. Sure. Um, so I moved to Baltimore in 1999. Uh, I started Local Color Flowers in 2008. Um, it was really at that time a response to people's interest in buying more local products. Um, and in the world of flowers, you know, most flowers had been have been purchased outside of the country. About 80% of the flowers that we buy in the United States come from South America. Um, And we were really seeing an interest in people wanting to buy local flowers, but not really being able to connect to farmers that were growing local flowers. So we started the business to really try to be a bridge between those groups, between the farmers and the consumers. Um, Like I said, we started in 2008. Um, We're in our ninth year in business. Uh, The majority of our work is wedding and event work, but we also do single orders like traditional florists. Uh, we have a local flower CSA. We do a ton of design classes in the shop and on site. Um, and we have a flower book club, which is super nerdy, but also super awesome. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. And yeah, we are really just committed to getting more local flowers in the hands of people in Baltimore. Um, and whatever that looks like, whatever that takes, you know, we're sort of open to it. Awesome. That's perfect. So there's one thing that I wanted to ask you about Mm -hmm. before we wrap up. This was such a good conversation. It's going to be so good. Everybody has to forgive us because (laughs) this conversation was super good. Um, So I haven't had Annie Mm -hmm. uh, as a guest yet, but I've been meaning to for a really long time. Um, So I'm just curious, uh, how did you end up uh, hooking up with Annie and, and then having her do some work for you? 
Yeah, we had, um, you know, one thing is Baltimore is very small and the maker community in Baltimore is, is pretty small. And so we had been fans of her work for a long time. Um, she had hooked us up with one of her friends who made t-shirts a while back. And so we had just reached out to her, you know, cold and said, you know, we like your stuff, we see your t-shirts. Um, and then my husband commissioned a piece uh, for my birthday a few years ago which um, became the artwork for our t-shirts and sweatshirts. Um, it's a beautiful paper cut. Um, it's so, I can't even describe, when you see it, it almost like, I mean, it did make me cry, but it's so true to <laughs> life because it's not just like this generic piece of art, right? Like, so I have now commissioned pieces from Annie so I understand sort of what her process is, uh -huh. but she actually like will take you know, like in the picture, it's real local flowers. It's not like a generic flower. It is real specimens cut specifically um, to form. And it's beautiful. It is the most stunning, for me, it is the most stunning piece of artwork that we that we own. Um, and we were super excited about sort of using that as sort of a, a centerpiece for our t-shirts and sweatshirts. And So is, is what you're wearing, is that the design no, for yours? Is, That's just one this of... This is just one of her, her, her designs, um, and I wore it in, in response to opening day today. Opening day. So, let's go O's. Yeah, let's go O's. So, so um, there's no Buffalo baseball team, is there? Triple A. We have the Buffalo Bisons. They're triple A team. Awesome. So you're a, you can be a legit O's fan. Yep. Great. I got no, Great. So no are you, problem. Are you a Bills fan then? I am a Bills. Okay. I will always be a Bills fan. I love the Ravens. Okay. Right. I love the Ravens, gotcha. but I will always at heart be a Bills I'm, fan. I'm married to a Mainer, so like, oh, yeah. unfortunately, when the Ravens go down, we like... Yep. My kids have like a sweatshirt or two with the Patriots, <laughs> Patriots. logo on it, but uh, you know it's okay. They understand where they they understand where they've grown up. Exactly. Um, this has been so great. So there are local. F there are t-shirts and sweatshirts yeah. that you guys sell. Yeah, we are they sell hoodies. Them. Yeah, are hoodies. They pullovers, zip ups, and pullovers. Yes. Yeah. I want to. I'm gonna. So how do I get it? Do I buy it off your website? Uh, you can just email us, and okay. we'll hook you up. That's what I want. What color are they? Uh, they're Kelly green, just like our logo, yes. and with a white cutout. I want really one, sweet. I want one of those yep. ASAP. This is great. So, before we wrap up, yeah. let everyone know um, maybe the best place on social to follow along yeah. with what y'all are up to and how to get in touch so they can get some flowers. Sweet. Um, we are pretty active on Instagram uh, under Local Color Flowers. That's probably day to day the best way to follow what we're doing. Um, because we don't have regular business hours, we'll off, often publish sort of pop-up hours on there. Like tonight, we're going to be open from 4.30 to 6.30 because we got a lot of flowers in the cooler. We'll try to pass those along. Um, our website is uh, www.locoflow.com. That's uh, sort of where you can find uh, contact info, you know, things like that. You can place an order online there. Um, and, you know, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all those other fun social media places. You guys are on Snapchat? Yeah. What's your Snapchat handle? LocoFlowBalt. L-O-C-O-F-L-O-B-A-L-T. Yep. That's my We are trying jam. not to be old. We're trying to have young mindsets. Oh, and man. Snapchat is my jam. <laughs> Snapchat is my jam. We bought... Uh, we're getting... See, now you've just, like, opened it back <laughs> up for me. I'm, it makes me really happy to hear that you're not just on it, but you're like throwing yeah. it out there because 
for two reasons. One, because you should be trying not to be old. Yeah. Uh, but two, because it's the greatest storytelling mm -hmm. vehicle for a business ever. Right. Because it allows you, you know, like Instagram is great, right? But it's curated. Super like, curated. Like it's super curated. And I and tell you, so. in the floral design world, hyper curated. Hyper curated. Yeah. I, I get it. You know, like, and, and Twitter is cool, but it's about talking. You know what I mean? And Facebook is the most boring thing in the world <laughs> aside from reading news articles but it's also super engaged but it's super engaged no matter what you do yep. mostly um but snapchat is just it's just so sticky it's so interesting and for me like i'm such a marketer but i also am like so eviscerating of myself mm -hmm. And it allows me to let that enter into my marketing, right? right? So I am literally able to be like taking a picture of myself and acting like an idiot and being like, this I'm is just an idiot. How it is. I feel like <laughs> such an idiot. And then I let that whole thing go and it's part of it. And it really adds this like, just this awesome candor. Then you add in the potential to start. Have you guys purchased any, uh, any filters yet? Not yet. Mm -mm. We're all over that. Yeah. We had a handful of, of special ones for last week's startup soiree at Light City and those will be a, a awesome. regular part of everything that we're doing yeah yeah um, Ellen thank you so much thank this was you. a really great conversation looking forward um, I've got some I got some ideas for cool. how we can we can do more stuff um, so on behalf of the entire startup soiree listening community thank, thank you. you for coming in today okay guys um, you heard it here first and second um, apologies for the snafu, but as I um, have told you time and time again, uh, we just let it roll here. There's no editing. This is a pretty legitimate person-to-person -person conversation, and uh, sometimes mistakes happen. So thanks for bearing with us. If you haven't yet, be sure to hit the subscribe button, whether it's in the iTunes, the Stitcher, or SoundCloud player. You can find us on YouTube as well, so you can listen along from your cubicle um, just before you quit your job and start something amazing. If you have a few spare moments, I would appreciate you heading over to the iTunes store and leaving us a quick review. Your reviews help more people around the world find our podcast which helps us get more ears listening to the incredible stories of these incredible businesses here in Baltimore City. That's all I got. This is going to come out really soon, so I'm going to see all of you at Impact Hub on the 28th of April for our standard monthly soiree. Looking forward to hanging out with all of those people there. That's all I got. Keep taking care of each other. See you soon, Baltimore. Peace.